0: You're listening to the tennis.com podcast and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello friends, welcome back to the tennis.com podcast. Uh, I'm Ed McGrogan here with Steve Tigner. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. We we have uh, returned after uh, you know one of our usual sabbaticals, but we we come back, you know, on the other hand with plenty to discuss. Um, With the French Open and the entire clay season, of course, behind us, we move on to the grass, uh, an extended grass court run this year. You know, if for nothing else, I I know that a lot of people love, you know, want to see more grass court tournaments. Maybe someday you'll get that elusive grass court masters on the the men's side. But just to have an additional week in between, uh, you know, two grand slams after such a long run, Clay road, and uh, it gives gives us the time to breathe and the players too
1: yeah, it makes a big difference, you know you don't think a week would make a big difference, but as of in the past, we would be coming right up to Wimbledon right now we would there would be the preparation tournaments would basically be basically be over, and we would be getting the Wimbledon seeds and the draw and you know over the next few days um, but now it just it does give you a little more. I guess it makes you know it, it makes the grass court season seem a little more important beyond Wimbledon.
0: Yeah, and, and two players who are I think making the most of this season, uh, this uh, grass court stretch here. Roger Federer, for one, you know he did not play the French Open, didn't play much on clay this year at all. That wasn't unexpected uh, given his priorities this season he uh, ends up playing Stuttgart and remains in Germany this week in Halle the a, a tournament that he has played so often and uh, has some connection with that they uh, have named a street for him there and uh you know the other person is Dominic Thiem who they could actually tangle again after they met in Stuttgart it was really one of the um one of the stranger matches in terms of you know, you think about it. TM ends up winning in three sets. Federer takes the first. He comes back. Federer, I'm saying, talking about, comes back from love five down in the second to force a tiebreak, earns a match point, um, and on his serve, no less, uh, can't convert and ends up losing in three to TM. So I think before we get to, to TM, because we have, I think, quite a bit we can discuss about him, even dating back to the, to Roland Garros, you know, how did Roger's return really strike you after a little bit of time off and injury? Obviously
1: he seemed rusty to me. I wasn't, you know, watching him there, obviously he'll get better before Wimbledon, but I wasn't, I was thinking, I mean, he's going to have to play better to, to challenge at Wimbledon. He, he struggled against Taylor Fritz an 18 year old, um, before that match against team. He, you know, he did lead and he did come back from love five, but, um, he you know, he lost the, the crucial points at the end of each of the last two sets. And I think team was also just getting his you know, the feel of grass and, and grass, frankly, he won that tournament, which is impressive because I don't feel like grass is his natural surface at all, which is with you know the length of his shots. He's much more of a natural on clay. Um for him to win that match is and to win the tournament was was impressive. But I also it didn't make me feel like he's going to be a, you know, a major challenger at Wimbledon this year either. So I, I felt I came away thinking that Federer had, he's got, he's got work to do.
0: Yeah. And he comes right back at it this week. Uh, it, it is strange. I mean, to think about what you just said is, you know, where do we really see Roger Federer as a, as a true Wimbledon uh, contender? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's hard to think that one more week can do uh, a whole lot, but you know we've I think we're growing accustomed to this changing. Really, uh, I think it's I think it's been a gradual but certainly noticeable changing of the guard, where Murray and Djokovic have really become the two most consistent threats um, on the men's tour far and away, and and really were. We've been we've been seeing Federer and Nadal, um, you know, having their patches of great play, but also, you know, taking the early losses that we never saw for the better part of a decade, and you know, I don't know, I'm not sure, you know, how much a best of five. If that if that's kind of a saving grace to someone like Federer, to almost kind to almost find 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 his feet again, um, but you know I wonder really what would be the reaction if if some if a Federer did end up you know losing first week of Wimbledon fourth round of Wimbledon, um, you know have we kind of accepted that as as this you know certainly well into the back nine of his career.
1: Yeah, you could you could definitely see it happen. I feel like he's going to need a good draw. He's he's really not going to want to face a big server or a big somebody who can can overpower him. Um, you know, he's going to want I I think that'll be important more important than ever this year judging by his you know, his what has happened to him since the Australian Open. It's going to be a long shot for him to to really challenge for the title. You know, if he can get on a roll and he has a good draw and he gets Murray in the semis, there's that's all. That's a definite possibility of him to you know to reach a final, you know, just to get to somebody like Djokovic, but um, you know, you, you know, you can't discount him as a top contender, as a seven-time champion. But I this year and just seeing him in Stuttgart, I felt like he's a ways, you know, he's a ways from being there, being, you know, a guy that you think can win the tournament at this point.
0: Now, as for T.M., I mean. We go, I can you know, go back a couple, you know, week and a half or so, reaching the semis of Roland Garros. You know, a, a great result. I think a result that really validated a lot of what we were thinking about um, his immediate potential and also um, really what we can project long term possibly. I think it was probably also the first look that a lot of viewers got about. Um, just simply who, who he is as a player. He's a, you know, unless you are watching fairly closely, um, you know, it's not to say that TM hasn't made inroads before, but this was a stage that, um, you know, the majors, you know, they give the platform that is unlike any other and the challenges that are unlike any other. And what you saw from, you know, TM going through, um, you know, pretty close to the end of the tournament, um, you saw the movement, you saw just a fantastic uh, forehand, uh, you saw one of the better serves on tour, I, and that's to say nothing of the backhand that everybody also talks about with him. Uh, you know, it's a very, and what we're seeing now on grass and what we have seen before on hardcourts, you're seeing, I think, why people are discussing him as probably the best young prospect in the game.
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was just what... We expected what we what we wanted. If he had, I feel like if he hadn't made the semis, you might even if he if he only made the quarters, of the fourth round, you may it would it would have been disappointing. I think the semis was and a loss to Djokovic as badly as he got beaten by Djokovic, that was still that was still as much as you could ask, as much as we wanted. I thought the win over David Goffin in the quarters, while that doesn't sound like an amazing win, it's it's a good step forward for Team. He was ranked behind Goffin. He was almost down two sets Gofans is more experienced and just seemed like he was the guy who was ready to win that match but team turned it around with some more you know a more explosive game but I think that win while it's you know it won't be it wasn't a earth-shaking win just that's a good step forward um, for him at this point and, then, and to win the tournament in Stuttgart which I don't even like I said I don't feel like grass is really he's gonna have to learn to play on grass with with the shots he has but but to have the confidence to to beat Federer and win that tournament, that's you know that's that shows you what a Grand Slam semi can do. I think, in, as far as your confidence goes.
0: Yeah, and and I mean you know we can't discount the effect that a great serve has on grass for any player, and I th- and I think that you know his all court weaponry is going. You know the movement is obviously really the the great equalizer for grass, but. You know, in in some ways, I almost think of it as we think of young players as kind of really feeling fearless and with nothing to lose and and not really, um, you know, not not trying to specialize in one particular area as much kind of. Taking on any challenge, or I think we, I think you know, a lot of great young players. You you see that early in their careers, and you know, gradually they they come to represent you know something a little more specifically how it how it caters to their game. But you know, TM, I think at the moment, it, you know, he's 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 still in. He's just about at the point where um, you know uh, the rankings will dictate kind of him as as clearly. That he's arrived, but I think at this point we're, you know, anything kind of could be, you know, could be possible at, at the moment with him. And I'm I'm curious to see how he follows up this week. If he, you know, it wouldn't be too unexpected to see kind of, you know, a letdown after uh, after a nice title run and and giving him a little bit of time to go into Wimbledon. But, you know, that's another um and that's another player that, based on the seedings, as we know, Wimbledon is the only Slam that has you know, seating's catered to the surface. Um, Not that one tournament will make a big difference in that jump. But, uh, you know, we'll get to the draw next week. But that, uh, you know, I think Wimbledon's possibilities beyond Murray and Djokovic, you do kind of have to include him in the conversation.
1: Yeah, I think this shows, you you do wonder about his schedule, though. When is he going to, you know, when is he going to do what the top players do and take a week off here or there? He hasn't done that yet. Team plays pretty much every week you wonder whether whether that'll will cost him will leave him tired at some point it hasn't really yet he's, he did fine at the French Open but even there I felt, felt like he came in there playing too much tennis and he's you know that's a possibility at, at Wimbledon too he's going to play the two weeks going in
0: let's while we had the French on our on our minds here um, you know the champions Novak Djokovic, Garvinia Muguruza, uh, one we I think expected one. Was uh, certainly someone that no one that you couldn't really back with any serious confidence, given how you know how volatile Muguruza's play has been. Besides all her obvious talent and ability, you know, it to me they were great contrast in champions. In that, Djokovic has just represented the ultimate, uh, the ultimate consistency across tennis, you know, men's or women's. You know, you know exactly what you're going to get. Every time um, you're gonna, nothing is given away by him whatsoever. Muguruza, on the other hand, you know, really ha- has been just the opposite, just so inconsistent, um, really unable to kind of uh, establish. Even though the rankings have, you know, she's very high in the rankings, and she was before winning Roland Garros, um, you know, that didn't mean a whole lot on a week-to-week basis, even at the bigger tournaments. You know, we still saw big letdowns, disappointments, the upsets. Uh, but both of these two end up taking, uh, taking the French Open. And, you know, I'm just kind of wanting to look forward to, to think about what we... Should expect, or even realistically can expect, for them on grass. I mean, this in this clay court, or sorry, the grass court stretch. Djokovic looks like he's going to be going into Wimbledon cold, without any um, tune-up tournaments, as he's done before. Muguruza will play uh, this week in Mallorca. There's a you know a a new grass court event there on the WTA, and that's you know fitting that uh, as from someone from Spain that would play in that event. So just kind of wondering your thoughts, uh, you know, really of these two on grass. And I think Muguruza is probably the more interesting case.
1: Yeah, I think Djokovic, you just have to think of him as, as we know what we're going to get from him. He's won, he's won the tournament the last two years without playing any two and up events. He's won four straight slams. You know, he's goes in as the, as the overwhelming favorite, maybe more than, more than he ever has before. With um, Federer in his current state, Muguruza is yeah. Muguruza, this is a, this is an interesting tournament for her. She made the final last year, so we know she can play on grass. And maybe you would even think she's grass is better for her than clay. Um, but now we'll see how does she react to this success last year. She made the final of Wimbledon and had a bad stretch until the end of the year when she had a good stretch. And she had another bad stretch to start this year. So. It will be it will be nice to think that she could follow this up this win up with something good, something solid of quarterfinal or semifinal at Wimbledon, rather than an early loss or a sort of rather than feeling the pressure of, of where she is. I think at this point she she should feel comfortable where she with a where she is. She, you know, she worked herself up to winning a grand slam. It's not like it came out of nowhere, sort of like Kerber. I feel like she should be comfortable with her position, number two in the world, um, coming, you know, coming into Wimbledon as the defending runner-up. Uh, I think an early loss would be a, would be disappointing, and, and you know, we're still looking to see whether she's whether she's a long-term number one type player or whether she's sort of a hit and miss Kvitova, mm-hmm. Mary Pierce type player. And this, I think, will you know, this will tell us a little bit.
0: Yeah. And one other player that we, you should mention from last week, uh, a champion who has had some success at Wimbledon herself and has the game to do so, uh, Coco Vandeway, uh You know, she, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, had Maria Sharapova on the ropes at Wimbledon, went to a third set with her. Um, but, you know, a massive serve, and, you know, a player who, you know, that's someone who uh, will not be ranked as high as she probably, her her grass game could reflect given, uh, you know, given just really how much, how hard she hits the ball. Um, Vandaway, a nice uh, story for those kind of following, uh, you know, the U.S. progress overseas, you know, besides Serena Williams, essentially.
1: Yeah, I think... You know, Vandeweghe should
0: benefit from Wimbledon's
1: grass court seeding. She made the quarterfinals there last year, like you said. She took a set from from Sharapova. She won this tournament last week um, with a, you know with a couple good wins in there. And you can already see that she's going to need to be get her seating, you know, some kind of seeding moved up uh, if possible because at this at the tournament this week in Birmingham she's slated to play in the first round Radwanska, the top seed. In Birmingham, so she she could be a dangerous player for for a high seed early on at Wimbledon, um, depending on where she where she goes in the draw. But she's one of those sort of old fashioned players who comes to life on grass with the big, uh, most Sampras esque serve and, and attacking game that just you know immediately works so much better on that surface. And she looks so much more comfortable there. So yeah, she's um, you know if we're looking for another American run like Shelby Rogers and at the French Open, you can. I think is a good has a good chance for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now you know we a lot was made obviously, and for for good reason. Uh, the coverage of Maria Sharapova's two-year ban last week—you know, going from when it was released to uh, the reaction—just um, top to bottom, uh, a massive story in the game, obviously. Now, a story that really broke to me was. Quite surprising. I'm not sure if you had any sort of inclination of this, and it happened on uh, Sunday morning. Um, you know, is is Andy Murray reuniting with Yvonne Lendl just in advance of Wimbledon? Um, Murray and Amelie Moresmo parted ways as as, a, as an official coach not too long ago, um, and of course, Lendl, you know, had Murray at his at his peak in 2013 winning Wimbledon 2012 at the U S open, you know, also the Olympic gold medal. And, um, he certainly always seemed to get, you know, I think what people who believe in Andy Murray and what he's capable of, we, we saw the best of that harnessed by having Yvonne Lendl in his corner. Um, I'm wondering, I guess a, what you've you know, thought of this reunion b if, 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 if this is a, you know, if it's more kind of a band aid, or, or if you do think this is really maybe another long term, you know, year or two partnership. It, it doesn't strike me as something that could be sustained for a while, given that they'd already decided to, to part ways at once. But um, just kind of wondering your thoughts on, on Murray Lendl too. Yeah, it's
1: not quite as surprising, you know, today, right, you know, right after Murray announced that he and Maresma had split he said he would be willing to get back together with Lendl and Lendl seemed to indicate the same thing he hadn't wanted to continue with Murray full time he didn't want to travel and maybe they had run their course uh, a couple years ago but but i think it's you know it, it makes sense in just in the raw statistics with Lendl he won two grand slams and won the olympic gold medal since then he's been good but he hasn't won any grand slams and you look at Novak Djokovic who basically Took the Murray Lendl idea by hiring Boris Becker, a big big time player who who knew who knew how to win the big matches, and Djokovic basically hasn't lost any Grand Slam finals since then. So, you know, you, you think Murray probably looks at that and and thinks he's got to get Lendl back. I think the difference. I think you know, Moresmo and and Murray were good. The one thing I thought that was different when 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 Murray would play the big matches, especially against Djokovic in the. Grand Slam finals, you know, he tended to, to react better to adversity when Lendl was there and he tended to look for problems, um, and get more angry when he was with Moresmo. I don't, I feel like Lendl may have been better at inspiring Murray to, to kind of take responsibility and, and, and sort of take and feel that he should win Those matches, he didn't play that way. He hasn't played that way since. Uh, You could even see it in the French Open final, even after winning the first set, Murray faded away pretty quickly. But you look at the 2012 U.S. Open final when he played Djokovic, and it went to a fifth set. Murray took that bathroom break, told himself, "Now, you know, now is the time to do this." He had a much more positive attitude. I think Lendl kind of instilled that sense of of. You should beat everybody because that's that was Lendl's always Lendl's attitude. Of course, he thought he should be number one. And I think he instilled this sort of sense in Murray that nobody else has—that that he is the guy that he can be number one, not just sort of the second, not not the runner-up, not the guy who always loses in the final.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, I think just and as high as Murray is in the rankings, and and he's made you know he's passed uh, you know number three and number four pretty clearly now. You know, it, it, it's so hard to uh, to picture that a player of that caliber needs a change. But when you, but when you saw, you know, I almost think back to kind of this year's Australian Open final in a way, even more so than than the French. You know, it was just it, it was another chapter of Murray just unable to muster what was needed and to and really kind of wilting in a way against you know an opponent that he just you know his his rival that he is has had so much trouble beating on the biggest stages. And I say that even though Murray's only two grand sign titles have come with wins over Djokovic at the open and Wimbledon, but, but you felt that, that given where Murray is in his career, um, and you know, the opportunities are, are still there for him to, I think kind of really write his legacy, depending on where, on where this takes him and, and, and where he goes in in the uh, in major title hunts, you know I think it was I have to say I, as opposed to kind of starting anew, and and you often see how how long it takes for coaching um, coaching partnerships to kind of materialize even that was even the case with Djokovic and Becker they took a while to get to get in sync you know I, I think having these two you know swallow their pride essentially I I don't know who really was the one who, who definitely wanted to, you know, you indicate, obviously, lend it with the travel, but clearly when you, when you part ways and then return and, you know, reunite, you know, I, I think it, it was kind of a, you know, a validation from both men that, you know, maybe this is, this is really where kind of we belong as, as player and coach, and I think, you know, it gives the Murray part of Wimbledon, uh, this coming Wimbledon, such a new and interesting wrinkle Um, You know, there's obviously a lot with Djokovic, uh, you know, now halfway toward the calendar year Grand Slam. It's really the only goal left for him, uh, you know, besides, you know, of course, passing uh, Roger and Roth on the all-time list. But I think it it adds such a new dimension to where we're going to view the men's tournament and Murray. And I I, I do think it's, I do think given how well he's played this year overall, um, we should really see some of the best tennis from Murray in a couple weeks. Yeah, I
1: think Lendl, you know, he won't be able to do anything with his game, even if he wanted to. I think he'll give him a jolt, though, you know, maybe just a little more arrogance in a way, a little edge that he, that he hasn't had. Uh, you know, I look at the way he played Vavrinka in the semis at the French, and he really played that to win. He, you know, he really felt like he didn't want to lose to Vavrinka, and he played the opposite Against Djokovic, he got ahead, and he felt like, you know, you just didn't feel like he thought he could do it. And I think Lendl will, will help in that regard.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's a big, it's it's always the biggest tournament. It's always my favorite to watch, and I think this just adds to that. Um, next week we'll get into um, a bit more Wimbledon as as the event draws, you know, even closer. This week I encourage all of you to. Head to tennis dot com it is our twentieth anniversary week we started back in nineteen ninety six when many of us didn't even uh d- didn't even know what know what the internet especially even is certainly didn't know about how much it would change everything that's what uh this week is is about on tennis dot com we have a um a countdown of the twenty matches that we we foresee as uh, ones we'll remember 20 years from now, the ones that will have the longest impact. That's running from uh, Monday through Sunday. A bunch of other special features as well. I really hope you check it out. It's a, uh, it's a little bit of, uh, I guess a little self-congratulations, but I think it's worth, uh, worth the time. It's, it's been a nice, uh, nice little run. So we hope you check all that out, obviously. And until then, the next podcast, Steve and I, will return next week. Uh, Thank you for listening. As always, this is the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.